you know, as Tanisara was um, repeating that refrain of reclaiming, I couldn't help but think of Maxine Waters and reclaiming my time. And I was thinking of reclaiming my mind. And those systems we were naming this morning of greed, hatred, and delusion, of capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, which are just names you know, for these large, complex ways that we live inside that delusion of separation. But those systems are within each of us. They're not out there. I love this Krishnamurti um, paraphrase that you think you're thinking your thoughts, you're not. You're thinking the culture's thoughts. And so for me, this practice is so much about reclaiming my mind on a moment-to-moment basis as a way to connect to that undivided, luminous, connected heart. So I was just reflecting as Tanisra was talking you know, what, what has helped me? All the entryways she was describing, what has helped me in my practice have some glimpses of that, some connection to it? And what has not? So going back to what we were referencing this morning of you know hearing the call that we may need in these teachings because these teachings are so diverse they offer all these thousands of tools with hands and eyes and methods so what are the tools that we need as a people collectively conditioned in similar ways but also individually for our own exploration I know for, for me, um, this idea of uh, mindfulness has been tricky because we put the word mind right at the beginning of it. And this conceptual framework that we can get caught up in of understanding things with our heads and with rational thought, so useful. And you know, we've used a lot of words today to help bring us together into a collective understanding. But at some point, we have to really be with our experience in a felt way. And so this call to the body that's in the teachings has been, for me, a gateway to really connecting to this heart. You know, there's a paradox that, there are many paradoxes, there are paradoxes. But this paradox of us as individuals, the self that is saving the selves that don't exist, 
the self and not self, the relative and the absolute, matter, so these beads being solid and something that I hold on to because I don't know what to do with my hands when I'm up here. But actually, this and everything around us is mostly made of space. There are so many paradoxes and so much mystery. And can we allow our felt sense experience, our practice, to connect us to that? Dropping these conceptual frameworks and really resting in the present moment. Rilke said, be the mystery at the crossroads of your senses. Can we really trust that rest is resistance? And can we rest to receive what will be needed so we can move forward with our action in the world, with our commitments, with our passions, but have we given ourselves enough time to really connect? I don't know how many of you are familiar um, with Reggie Ray, who is a, a teacher in Tibetan tradition, originally from the Shambhala tradition. He talks a lot about... Um, our Western condition of being extremely disembodied and receiving these teachings from that place of being really conditioned to the conceptual mind, being rewarded since we were this big for thinking, for talking, for writing, for not being connected to our bodies, for understanding things only through thought, and how we may have really missed the call that's in these teachings to be with our experience on a sensual level, on a sense level, as an entryway to the citta, to the heart, Even the early teachings describe this. In the suttas it said, there's one thing that when cultivated and regularly practiced leads to deep spiritual intention, to peace, to sati, and clear comprehension, to vision and knowledge, to a happy life here and now, and to the culmination of wisdom and awakening. And what is that one thing? It is awareness centered on the body. In another place, if the body is not cultivated, the mind cannot be cultivated. If the body is cultivated, then the mind can be cultivated. And as Tanisara mentioned last night, it's that yoni manasikara, that womb of attention, placing all phenomena our conditioning, our thoughts, our emotions, what's going on externally, 
what's going on internally, what's going on both internally and externally in this womb, this receptive awareness. And so cultivating over and over again the space for that so that we build that capacity to move through the world meeting the world with our bodies. A Zen nun of the 15th century was asked to describe her practice, and she said, I meet life with my whole body. So as we're faced with these very challenging times, can we cultivate that capacity? Can we make space Can we rest in order to touch into that heart so that we meet these challenges with our whole bodies, hearts and minds? And not just thinking of solutions, but really feeling into what's the response needed now? For me, I... um, I came to the Dharma through academics. So I wasn't even really practicing for, for years. And it was actually through a yoga practice that I realized that I needed to sit and really start to cultivate this capacity beyond this brightness up here to really connect to the intuitive When I um, was first diagnosed with cancer, I was 34, and I felt like my body was betraying me because it was trying to kill me. And there's a way in which each diagnosis and all the treatments and the challenges has put me into deeper touch with the body. And in, in simple ways of understanding what's really needed. You know, in the past couple of years, dealing with um, metastatic cancer, it's been rest that I've needed. I've had to really pull back from a lot of commitments and had to struggle with my, my own energy, but also my ideas about who I am and what I'm capable of and disappointing people and what my responsibilities are. You know, there's a Zen saying, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. And so for each of us, it's a practice of really understanding what we are experiencing, what we're capable of, what we are passionate about, what keeps us up at night. Sinisara was saying and what we can really offer. It's not going to look like what someone else offers, but this practice gives us this opportunity to to really to connect into what's true. So for me, in this past year of shock and disbelief and fear, 
what's been really true for me and necessary has been rest and renewal and taking care of my sister who was sitting back there before, if some of you saw, now is in the small room. And then offering the teachings that I can with the energy that I have. But recognizing that that is within that paradox. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. And to study the self is to forget the self. Because when I'm truly in touch with that, then I can show up fully, offering know that there, there is no separation. And that this other paradox, Suzuki Roshi (laughs) offered his students, you know, you're perfect just as you are, and you could use a little improvement. (laughs) Know that it's a constant practice to understand um, when am I resting and... When am I hiding? When am I engaged? And when am I just performing? When am I being generous? And when is that coming from neediness? You know, to really understand the self. Because if we're going to show up in the world for change. As Bell Hooks said, you know, if you're fucked up and you lead the revolution, you're going to have a fucked up revolution. (laughs) So this inside job affects this outside world, and this outside world is already within us. So it's this constant process. And for me... There are many methods. You know, my daily practice, my Dharma friends, which are just so key, <laughs> teachers, pets, children, nature. And somehow connecting over and over again in little ways. You know, this intuitive aspect is not easy for me. And, and I think it's not easy for a lot of us because we are so trained to the rational. But finding the ways to connect to the sacred, to connect to what's denigrated and what's mysterious and not easily seen We, we took a walk, and I, I walked down, I like walking down 28th between 6th and 7th because there's all those garden stores. And there's, you're just walking down, you know, dirty Manhattan Street, and there are all these plants everywhere around you, especially on a day like this where they let them outside. We went into one of them, there are all these trees, and you feel like you're suddenly in the forest, and it's, it's this just little taste of this incredible thing called life. 
that we can experience in any moment just through our breath. You know, just when we wake up to be grateful, wow. Cancer helps with that. You're pretty grateful just to wake up. But for any of us, you know, can we allow this beautiful existence to connect us to that mystery? So we're going to take just a five-minute break. So we're going to ask you to break into triads now. So if you could find two other people. This will be an open conversation, so you won't be taking turns. We won't be timing it. Um, So you'll have about 25 minutes total um, to have a conversation about refuge and reclamation and resistance and response. So an open conversation about refuge. So where in your practice do you find refuge, some ground, some holding? How or what are you reclaiming through that practice? And then resistance and response. So to the state of our world, to this dismemberment, What is your form of resistance or response? It might be the refuge and reclamation, or it might be things that you're taking out into the world or wanting to enact or engage with. So working with the themes of today, this dismemberment and reclamation of the heart, exploring refuge and reclamation and resistance and response. Okay, maybe we were taking selfies up here. (laughs) Call us out. Someone called us out. So we'll be ending our time together in a little while with some connection to the heart and some ceremonial practice with Kuan Yin, but before we do that, we'd love to share again and hear from you. So we'll take some time. There's a mic that will go around and um, would love to hear, especially from anyone who hasn't spoken yet, but would love to hear from anyone who wants to speak. And please say your name when you, you get the mic. How did it go? What, 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 what came up for you or for your group? There's been some uh, coll- collective sharing of... Thanks, Jerry. I 
I've sat with both these amazing women before, but when Tanisara went through her description this morning, I felt very depressed. And um, I thought, and I haven't been here in a while, only because I've been trying to protect my back and not use New York cabs or things of that sort, which is chill. So um, I thought how little I do, and I really have to do a lot more. And I felt my grandchildren, I hope they see the ends of their life before they reach 30. And um, then something happened. And it had to do with about, as Tumor Nisera talks about it, looking inward, looking, you know, taking the opposite direction like a mirror just flipping the other way, not just looking, but being in it. And uh, I suddenly felt the heart, and I was in my heart. And things became much more peaceful. I was able to look at the problem and the issues, and I felt I'm okay with that. All I can do is be the person I want to be, and that might help my grandchildren. I talk to them about Buddhism. I send them uh, the daily Dharma. I, um, uh, I work with one of Sangha down in Washington. And sometimes I feel, well, you know, you do anything they ask you to do. And sometimes it's just real, you know, little, little secretarial things. I would never have done that 20 years ago, you know, blah, blah, blah. but then I realize how important that is for them, that they need people to do that. And I'm happy to do it, and I'm happy to help them in any way I can. And I'm not sure I can still be up there in March, but I can get into that computer. You know, my body's going, but my head is keen. And the fact that Sebene also said how, reminded us how long this has been going on. This hasn't, you know, maybe it's worse these last year, two years, but this has been going on for thousands of years. And, you know, we may never see the end of it, but we can do something little by little amongst ourselves through our heart, through our heart mind, so we say, and perhaps do a little bit of changing Beautiful. as a group, as a person. So I suddenly felt much, much better. And I thank both you women. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I call myself Miss Apocalypse. <laughs> so does everyone else. <laughs> she keeps me real. <laughs> Miss Apocalypse, I have an entirely different view of this morning, so I have to speak. Um, I practice every day, but too, too many hours of the day, my head has been spinning for the past year. And the way you spoke this morning was exactly what I needed to hear. So it didn't depress me. It clarified me. We have to speak the truth about what is. So I'm very grateful to you for describing the pile of shite. <laughs> and because you got to call it what it is in order to know it. And I appreciated that in, in the talk about 
knowing things. Before you can respond, you have to see it. This is true for one's own failings, but also what's going on all around us. And what's been going on for centuries, centuries. So I, I appreciated both of you so much. And Sebine, the way you describe this land 12,000 years ago was so helpful. So there was apocalypse, but there was also perspective, which I found so useful. Uh, I'm very, very grateful for today. I just want to thank you both. And also the discussion I had with my two partners, um, I got a much more clearer understanding of um, Yuan Lin. And I actually felt kind of confused by the, by the, by the description of what we were supposed to be doing. Because I don't know how I'm going to reclaim something I've never had. But, but also, the idea of having a response. I can respond to things. I can choose how to respond to things. And I need to keep that in mind. So today was very helpful to me with that. And I thank you both. Thank you so much. Thank you, Diane. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, howdy. I, uh, I, th I think, like, for me, the takeaway from this day and last night, um, sort of when you were talking about Nelson Mandela and the sense of deep, deep, presence that he had and um and it's it, it's i what i he heard today and yesterday was was really about um deepening in that presence and that's the place from which we can make difference only from that actually um i, I had an opportunity to be in india about four weeks ago and the dalai lama was giving teachings that were requested by taiwanese students by chinese people you know, so this was taught, he was speaking in Tibetan, it was simultaneously translated into English and Chinese, but just the depth of embracing. You know, yes, I mean, the Chinese government, not the people, took away their country, but there was this depth, and you could just feel the, the deep embracing and kindness that was going on, and it seems like in this, you know, polarizing energetic of the last year in particular, that's that's what we need to bring. What our dharma, our dharma seeing brings. So so I think that really is a sort of response from that layer is built into our practice. And then if we pay attention to what's needed, I I, I bet all of us do unique things that we never thought of before. Thank you so much. Thank you, yeah, thank you for bringing uh, Dalai Lama into the room. Uh, what came up for me in, in hearing uh, you two talk and then meeting in our dyads and triads was um, I'm not a unicorn. Um, I'm with like-minded people who want peace in the world and who feel that self-care is as important as sending love and kindness to others and that rest is indeed a resistance. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Radical. Self-care, yeah. Hi, um, I was thinking about the idea of resistance and um, we were thinking, talking thinking about, about resistance right. and, and we were talking in our group about um, 
some of the things that were mentioned this morning about sort of like the people at the top of the American government right now, there just doesn't seem to be like anything life-affirming happening. And so like my instinct is like, well, there's no life there. This can't continue. So eventually they're just gonna destroy themselves. So why don't they just destroy themselves there and we'll sort of build our life-affirming stuff here as resistance of like showing that we keep going. But the piece that keeps coming up for me is like, it's not like they're just gonna quietly self-destruct and then disappear, right? Like whatever's happening at that level, like it's gonna hurt other people. Um, and we know that the people who are hurt the most are those who are most under fire from capitalism, patriarchy, white supremacy. And so it's like, and then honoring like rest. It's like, okay, I've been working as an activist for 20 years. I've sort of taken the last couple to try to like refigure what that looks like for me, but we're in this time of urgency. So I'm trying to figure out like rest, you know, resistance, building something good and also like directly resisting the forces that are sort of trying to take us all down. So there's a question in there I don't know how to articulate, but I'm just trying to figure all that out and I don't know the answer. You know, um, it, it's, it's again building that um, body, heart, mind that can be responsive from a place of clarity that's not clouded by our own conditioning, our own trauma, our own, not that we'll ever be rid of all that and moving from complete clarity that would be awakening and hopefully that will come to all of us right after we walk out of here. <laughs> but, you know, until then, it's, it's moving the best we can. And, and it's true, you know, I, I've, I've been looking, I like metaphors, I've been looking for metaphors to understand what's happening, and one that came up for me about this time is like, the body is, is sick, and there's this infection, and it's pussy, and it's gross, and it smells, and, and it, but it's actually leaving the body. And we have to collectively clean it out, and we might need to cut it out, actually. Um, so take certain tools like knives, but it has a chance of reinfecting us, you know. And, and so, what does that cutting or cleaning or um, healing look like? And it'll look different depending which arms we're using of response. Another one that a friend gave me is of um, a rabid animal that's dying but is attacking trying to defend itself in the corner of a room and we have all our people in the room and we need to protect and defend and also fight back. Um, but both of those to me have this radical hope within them because it's something that's on its way out and I, I really do believe that but it has the chance of reinfecting or, or biting or harming along the way and so how, how do we respond and th there are going to be many responses. So. I don't know if that's an answer, but it's sort it's of the ways helpful. I've been thinking about it. It's very helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, you know, we're sitting here, and I was thinking, this is why all the brown and black people I know sit with Tanisara. Um, or all the POCs I know are just like, you, should, you need to sit with Tanisra. I'm like, okay. Um, and I think part of it is, you know, you call it apocalyptic, but I think for me, 
reclamation is acknowledgement of what's going on. And so I think the reality is that's why I think all the POCs I know like to sit with you because some spaces there's just like this performative aspect of the Dharma and it doesn't leave space for all the suffering that's uh, different for us in different ways um, and that is collective but also shows up differently for different people who are part of that collective and I think one of the things that I've been thinking about on that level but also on a personal level is that reclamation of orphaned off parts of ourselves and how that shows up in rest when we start to bring those sort of orphaned parts back when we start to acknowledge the reality of all of this rather than trying to not look at it as a just even as a sangha, I think it 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 provides some deep restfulness. Um, at least it has for me, and I think that's I'm trying to do that for myself in terms of the breadth of my emotional experiences and all the ways in which I've I've done that to survive in this collective difficulty um, and bringing them back into my heart um, and showing that that it's okay to be a mess, which is what. I also love that you said earlier, because we don't get to hear that enough in this space. So many of us are striving to be enlightened, I feel, in a lot of ways that we forget that, you know, we're human beings and we're messy and it's okay. Um, and so I, I appreciate that. And obviously, Seb's a dear friend, so I just love to see her face up there. But, uh, and all the collective wisdom that she brings as well around rest, because she's a wonderful example of that. And so I aspire to be more like her, but I do think that piece was really important for me today around reclamation, rest, and then how that shows up in my resistance in the work that I do, so, um, and how I can model that in many ways for my clients. So I appreciate both of you very much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so America. much. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we have to do this collectively, I, I think, you know, to hold the enormity of both um, the crisis and the um, engendering the potential and naming the territories accurately are part of that um, as a collective and as systemic levels. And I think it's a big shift in the Dharma movement to move from this individuated me uh, process where Sangha is like a sideline and supporting that to actually a collective we and systemic levels so I was trained in the Four Noble Truths, it was a heart teaching that was primary and core in my monastic training, but it was always related to your personal inner process, which was profoundly helpful, but never to the systemic levels of you know, the patriarchy of that, that system. Um, and every, every system, you know, there, there, was a, there was this tendency to bypass um, and almost shame uh, the in interest in looking at systemic issues or issues of injustice or, um, you know, that as if you've somehow gone off the track. So, um, so this, is, this is like another iteration of the evolution of the Dharma when we can't really do that anymore. We haven't got the luxury to do that. Um, with floods and fires and, you know, um, and all the, the very, it would be irresponsible and it wouldn't be very authentic to the Buddha's heart and message, I believe, and the, the um, you know, the great legacy that we've inherited. So, uh, so, so none of us started looking, I didn't start looking at systemic levels, I started very much in an individual way, but it didn't work. 
And it left, as you say, so it's like this dismembered inner feeling and, and it's quite painful. And, um, you know, so we're all on a learning curve. Sorry, I'm not quite sure what I'm saying. I'm just going to stop. like to do a sort of a bit of a ceremonial way of finishing in a very simple way not too um, demanding as it's been um, you know we've had a whole day at this Um, just for the last um, 15 minutes or so um, taking us up towards the top of the hour what we'd like to do is to take this all back into the ground um, of that which is holding it, this deeper awareness, intelligence symbolized by Kuan Yin, in the same way as we opened with Seb so beautifully acknowledging the very ground that we have emerging from and are working from, of who was here before and what this ground is about and this earth, and honoring all of, all of that, um, to finish by offering. It's like offering into this responsive, dynamic, intelligent, um, listening, you know, of our personal and collective heart. So, as I said earlier, the, in the Kuan Yin, one of the Kuan Yin teachings or ceremonies, there's the line, the response and the way are intertwined inconceivably. There's a practice of the way and there's a response, mysteriously. Um, and so, you know, in the Kuan Yin, what I like about there's different aspects of the Avalokiteshva Kuan Yin Dharmas. There's the Heart Sutra, the Depth Wisdom. There's the Sharangama Sutra, which I was talking about, the practice of returning the, the hearing, returning the mind to its own ground. But there's also these, um, the, the um, 39th chapter of the Lotus Sutra, which is about the response bodies of Kuan Yin, the way she responds to help free-living beings from all sorts of predicaments. And it's connected with this asking for help, um, and then there's the Dharani Sutra, which is about the, the the mysterious and magical affect of the Kuan Yin dharmas. But this this thing of asking for help, it's not something that we teach in Buddhism, but it's actually Buddhist. It's, it, there is a, a very, it's probably the most popularly followed uh, Buddhist um, path of practice. Um, if you if you open up into the the global Buddhist world, particularly in Asia. Is this invoking, you know, they say the, 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 the invoking the help from, from not only the Davic kingdom, the subtle realms, but this deep intelligence of knowing wisdom, prajna, um, within ourselves and around ourselves. And so, but understanding that, that there isn't really any other being outside of this one mind. And so it said the, the worship and the worshiper are empty and still in nature. So even the idea of Kuan Yin and me are ultimately empty and still in nature, but there's still this movement of going, I need help. And there's somewhere along the path of practice when we get to a place um, that we can't do it. And it's a, it's a sort of a, it's an admission of humility and for us as human beings, we're pretty arrogant. 
um, we think we're going to do this and solve this. And we're a bit like the, the, uh, the um, sorcerer's apprentice where we pick up something and then we, I think it was the broom or something. I can't remember the story and it all gets out of hand. We're sort of at that level. We've created stuff that we don't even know what we're doing and it's getting way out of hand. And so there's like this humility of like, we need help actually from whatever wisdom and from wherever it comes from, understanding it's a responsive, intelligent, speaking universe. Um, and the same in our personal life, I, you know, just, just a very small story. I remember when Kitty Sara and I were in South Africa, which was, is a very uh, challenging or has been a challenging place to work in the post-apartheid trauma colonial trauma and the resonances of that deeply divided I mean it was very successful apartheid (laughs) deeply divided people along race lines in very complex and strange ways and economically Um, and there was a a way that this practice the Kuan Yin devotional practice was very important for us um, to understand we were in a context that we couldn't just approach it from just mindful observation that we had to really invoke a very deep ceremonial devotional space the same sort of space that when I was at Standing Rock last year and the native peoples had come together to take on the the um, Dapple company to try and stop the the oil pipes that their their core energy that they moved from to do that was a ceremonial prayerful space connected with the ancestors connected with the earth and that was a very deliberate um, observance of you know that that of, of ceremony that would take hours sometimes you know standing as people evoking this and and there was a certain power in that a really extreme extremely extraordinarily um, source of, of, of energy and power so, you know, our only very, very tiny way, Kilisar and I have done a lot of these Kuan Yin practices, partly to evoke that energy as protective, as generating out into the land. And one day, you know, we were, we'd gotten very um, overwhelmed and exhausted, as we often were there. And we said, well, why don't we go to a movie? And, um, but it wasn't just like going downtown to a movie. It's like a two and a half hour drive along um, rural roads that were tricky to drive through and also um, in the summer when there's big rains and the mists were rising and you can't see very well and we set off you know and before long we were in trouble there's thick there was a big rainstorm and you know rainstorms there they're they're pretty intense hailstones and lightning and and then we found ourselves behind this wood truck and it was all going very very slowly um, 20 miles an hour or something and it was like you know and after about three quarters of an hour it was like and you can't we couldn't really see and we had this little VW car we were going oh god you know we're going to miss the movie and then at a certain point he so I just pulled out and it looked like a the opening in the mist came and he looked at me and we looked at him yeah okay so he pulled out and he started zooming along the side of this long long truck this logging truck and suddenly these headlights came up in front of us. And they were, uh, they were like, I just knew we'd, we, we were finished. And my, you know, instantly my body went to jelly. And I, could, I just felt this, it was like a shock through my whole body. And it was like, and the mind just froze. And Kili Saro, who was a bit more worthwhile about him at that moment than I had, he just turned to me and said, pray. 
And it was interesting because it was the perfect thing to say. You know, he could have said, be mindful of the breath, but I, I wouldn't even know. <laughs> I mean, I had even stopped breathing. I didn't even have any breath at that moment. But just to put the heart in the right attitude of like, relax, open, trust. And fortunately, that he was driving because he had the wherewithal to actually accelerate. And I would have probably slammed on the brakes and it would have been instinctually. So he accelerated and we, and we just sort of got in, in front. Um, and ironically, about half an hour later, a car crashed into us anyway. So there was some energy. <laughs> you know, this guy came flying off the freeway and his brakes failed and we had a smash. But it wasn't fatal. But there was some energy around all of that that night. And it felt like what could have been fatal got diminished. Um, and we've had so many experiences of evoking um, a response, you know, in, in a very in a very real way. So I want to finish, well, we're going to do a little bit of Kuan Yin practice. It's a bowing practice, many of you are familiar with. I'll just explain it for those that haven't done it. And we're going to actually offer all of this, the, the, the Miss Apocalypse style, the patient that I have. I think it must be the Irish bones for the suffering. You know, you go straight there to what's difficult and challenging. Um, and also the hopeful outcomes and the potentiality just all of it, you know, it's this beautiful practice of the bowing, just laying it all down. So this is heavy, you know, as Ajahn Chah said, walking with his disciples and they saw these piles of boulders and, and he, he turned, he said, are they heavy? And, oh, yes, Lung Poor, Venerable Father, they're very heavy. He said, well, they're not if you don't pick them up. You know, so, you know, this is all very heavy stuff. And as we've, as we've been reminded, it's been going on for thousands of years and, we, you know, it's going to go on. So yes, we acknowledge it, but don't let's just pick it up and put it in our pockets and weigh ourselves down. So we're going to do the bowing, we're going to empty our pockets, we're going to offer up. It's not an abdication of responsibility, but we're going to offer it up appropriately to be held in this large, wise, compassionate heart that we collectively are. And uh, just for there to be a mysterious response. Of, 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 you know, the responsive world that we're in, the living world that we're in. So the practice is um, we invoke the name of Kuan Yin. There's, a, 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 there's a, a mantra and a recording of that to help us because it's quite a complex melody. And for those that wish to, you can uh, stand together or you can sit in the chair depending on body capacity and how you feel you want to engage. You can just listen. We stand together we do the first um, round of the mantra standing up. The second round, um, my side of the room bows first. You just follow me. We just go into a bow. At the end of the bow, the hands just open. And there's a sort of offering up. And then after that round of the mantra, I stand up and Seb's side of the room goes into the bow. So we just alternate the bowing. And if you're sitting in the chair, you can just, you know, it's the inner bow, the inner sense of attitude of offering up, offering it all up, letting go. And then um, when Seb rings the bell, then we, then the side that's bowing, that should be me, I think, we stand and then we complete with one round together. So it's a very meditative, slow, beautiful practice. Namo Kuan Shi Yimpusa. Um, I namo, I honor, or in Chinese they translate as I give back. Sometimes I give back, I return, return my life. Kuan, the one that regards or listens or contemplates. 
the yin to sound shirt of the world, the one I give back to the pusa bodhisattva. I, I give all this back to this deep listening, our own listening, which is connected with the intelligence of the Dharma and to the, the deeper intelligence, the mystery, the mystery. Just give it all back. So um, before we do that practice, I'm just going to invite us, just sitting here, Usually when we we do a whole ceremony, we haven't got time for that, and then people can write what they want to dedicate the ceremony to. We haven't got time for that. So I'm just going to invite you to speak out from everything that we've touched in today. today, what What would we like to name as to offer consciously into this listening heart to be received? So um, I'm just going to... So I'm not a dominant voice, because I do have something to say. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.